Judges chapter 8, verses 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw it threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and became, it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. And then down to verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal bereath their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So every summer, we study a character of the Bible to prepare our hearts and minds to see and hear from God while we're serving on these trips. And this past summer, we studied Gideon, as you just heard from Judges 8. You just heard the end of Gideon's story from Nick. But let me quickly give three big highlights from the earlier part of his story to make sure we're all on the same page and how we ended up at Judges 8 because a lot happens before we get to those verses. First, the story of Gideon begins with an angel meeting him as he's hiding in fear, afraid for his life and all of their possessions because of the invading Midianite army. The angel meets him and says, Gideon, and calls him mighty warrior. And in response, Gideon says, You must have the wrong guy because my clan is the weakest amongst all the clans. And in fact, even in my clan, I'm the least in my family. In other words, I'm a weak nobody, God. However, God answers Gideon by saying, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites. So eventually Gideon listens to God, gathers an army of 22,000 men to conquer the Midianites. However, God says to Gideon, You have too many men. I can't deliver the Midianites into their hands because the army will think they have accomplished this victory by their own strength. So God whittles Gideon's army down to 300 men. Afraid but trusting, Gideon takes these 300 men, surrounds the Midianite army at night, has everyone blow trumpets, hold up torches, and yell, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon to make it appear like there are more of them than there actually were. Then we read in Judges 7 that the Lord caused the Midianites throughout the camp to turn on each other with their sword, and the army fled. So Gideon is victorious, and the Israelites are amazed at what God had done and what Gideon had done as well. And this is where we picked up Gideon's story this morning. And I want to reread two of the first verses to show Gideon's response right after This victory, this is verses 22 and 23. It says, The men of Israel 
said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. This verse, this last verse, 23, is a beautiful, powerful statement of trust and surrender to God. On a human level, Gideon had just won an impossible battle, and he looked like a great strategist. However, Gideon knew that throughout the story, he was weak. He felt afraid, and it was only by God's strength and strategy that they won. In fact, this past summer, we coined a phrase or used a phrase to describe this way of living that Gideon represents. We said the phrase is, live weak. What we mean by this is that Gideon and the Israelites depended on the strength of God rather than their own. They trusted God's plans and believed that he would save them. They put their faith in the God who had delivered them many times before and listened to his will rather than their own desires or fears. This summer on our mission trips, our teams were able to embrace this live week concept as we all embraced God's plans rather than our own plans. We were forced out of our comfort zones where we had to depend on God's strength and not just our own. I remember one of these moments in Costa Rica. After we had just gone to church, we went back to the local impoverished community that's called La Radial, that's just the name of it, to visit the people we had befriended one final time, to say goodbye, to pray for them. We had just finished handing out all of the 42 bags of clothes that you all donated to us. We had set up a pop-up thrift store in the church, and we had distributed them, and people walked out with new clothes, smiles on their faces, kids feeling like it was Christmas morning, thanks to y'all's donations. And on our way down, we split into four smaller groups to visit the homes of all the people. We wanted to go visit, pray with them, pray for as many of the families as we could in this community. As we walked around, we were invited into homes of these families. And as you entered in, there was part of you that just wanted to get out because it was hot, it was cramped, it was dirty, and hard to imagine someone living there, let alone entire families. These homes were what is known as a precario in Spanish in Costa Rica, or a precarious place, because these homes were built between a main highway on one side and a ravine of rushing water on the other side. And during strong storms throughout the year, the the way these are constructed just makeshift, very insecure. Every year, about five of the homes get washed away in some big storm. And they have to rebuild or move on to somewhere else. And as you walked around, part of you, as I said, just wanted to leave. Forget that this exists because it was uncomfortable, unsettling to see. You felt a deep sense that this is wrong. But I'm unsure even how to help this. However, we knew in those feelings of weakness that God wanted these people to know that they are not alone. And that we wanted to provide whatever encouragement that we could. And I watched as our students took the opportunity to take a step of faith to pray for these families in a different language, unsure what it would lead to, but knowing that God deeply cared for these people and that God wanted them to be there and with these families. In my group, we didn't actually have a translator, and so one of the students in our group agreed to translate the prayers. I watched as he was nervous because his limited Spanish knowledge he thought would ruin the prayers. But he didn't let his insecurities keep him from caring for these families. These moments and many others on that Sunday 
are great examples of trusting in God even when it's uncomfortable, when you feel weak. That is what it means to live weak. And Gideon showcased this throughout his journey with God. And so do these students throughout these trips. Now, the problem is I really wish Gideon's story ended right there after verse 23. We all love a good happy ending. And this would have been a great one. They just conquered the Midianites. It was a great victory. In addition to that, Gideon gave the credit to God. He showed great faith and trust and said, no, no, no. I won't be your ruler. Remember, the Lord is your ruler. Sadly, however, this isn't the end of the story. And the sinful nature that hinders all of us creeps back into the story. And we get a reminder of the dangers that come when we allow our selfish desires to control us. The end of chapter 8 that Nick read describes a scene in which Gideon builds a golden statue. It says it becomes a snare or a trap that tempted people to live out of their own strength rather than remind them of the great victory that can come when we depend on God's strength. I think it's interesting that Israelites still get 40 years of peace after this. But that peace only leads to greater apostasy or turning away from God. After the death of Gideon, it says they continue to give themselves to other gods and worship created things rather than the creator. In the Judges 8 conclusion to Gideon's story, we get actually some clues to what went wrong. How did this get so off? We get a look behind the scenes of why they turned away from the true God and worshiped false gods. And we use those as kind of a guide to help us embrace the live weak mindset as we want to live under God's guidance and strength rather than our own. So let me reread the last two verses of that section. It says, And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. The big mistake that the Israelites made or at least didn't recognize was happening is that they forgot. It says they forgot the Lord their God and they forgot Gideon. Ultimately, I think what happened is that they allowed their focus to move away from being God-centered or even others-centered to being self-centered. They chose what they wanted and that they believed their personal and individual desires, hopes, short-term feelings were greater than the will of God for their lives. And sadly, this is the same trap, if we're honest, that we all fall into as well. We can often recognize the impure temptations of the world that are out there around us and the attacks of Satan maybe in our lives, which are big dangers and important for us to recognize because they can cause extreme difficulty. But I believe the biggest danger to our faith is the impaired human nature that each of us has that the Bible refers to as the flesh. My biggest stumbling block to living under God's strength is me. I think Gideon's story shows this that as soon as we start to believe the lie that we can do things on our own strength, then we have begun to go down a self-centered path that only leads towards insecurity and pain. As soon as we allow the myth that I did raise God-honoring children on my own, I did help this country, town, or person on my own, I can be a good spouse on my own, I can lead this company or group of people on my own, or I can be a witness for God in my school on my own, then we have started to fall into the same trap as Gideon and the Israelites. 
We've allowed our pride and selfishness to blind us to the reality of life. This will ultimately lead us away from God and the true self that God created us to be. In order to live weak, I believe we have to surrender the other idols of our lives and incorporate the discipline of remembrance. Don't forget. We need to remember the Lord and all that he has done for us because God has not just simply delivered us from the hands of a foreign ruler, but he has eternally delivered us from the penalty of our sin and the power of those sinful desires that draw us away from God and lead us towards selfish gain. Every night on our trips, we gather and we do many things, but one of the things we do is we call what we call where we saw Jesus. And we reflect on our day. And people just take turns remembering each day how God provided, strengthened, cared for us during the day. And I think taking time each day to remember what the Lord has done will give us the mindset we need to stop solely depending on our own strength and instead find true strength in Christ. So I ask you, how can you take time each day to remember what God has done in your life? Maybe it's around the dinner table. Maybe it's in the car. Maybe it's in your small group. Maybe it's through our summer prayer challenge. Or maybe you have it written on the walls of your home so you reflect as you walk by. Remember the Lord our God. Second, it says, if the Israelites stopped showing what they called steadfast love towards Gideon and his family, which if you want to keep reading, Judges 9 talks a little bit more about what that looked like. They allowed the great sacrifices, an example of Gideon, to be forgotten. At first, they eagerly cared for him probably and his family and listened to his charge that God would be their ruler. Not a mere human, but as time passed, their love and respect for Gideon faded away. In English, it takes both of those words, steadfast and love, to, try to describe or try to translate one Hebrew word. And this word is actually most often used to describe God's love towards his people in the Old Testament. It's not just a single act of love, but a never-ending, resolute kind of love towards others. We must not forget to resolutely love and remain loyal to those who have helped us get where we are. Once again, our sinful nature pushes us to leave the deeds of others in the past and focus on our strength here in the presence. However, faithful care and love towards others in our lives will keep the focus off of me and instead focus on the needs and concerns of others. On our trips, this is why we gather in small groups each night to discuss, encourage, and listen to each other. Living week requires us to be in community. And to never give up on that community which has supported you along the way. So let me ask you. Do you have a community of people that you show steadfast love towards? From my own experience, it's not just enough to show up on church, to church on Sunday morning and consider that your community. It takes more regular intentionality to really love well. And I think this is why we talk about getting into a group here at the chapel. A small group, a week day Bible study, celebrate recovery, or some sort of group where you can show steadfast love and be steadfastly loved. The secret behind truly embracing the live weak mindset is written on this stained glass behind me. And it is what the baptisms this morning expressed. When you put your life in Christ, then you have found the source of life himself. 
And as you embrace being in Christ, then you will see that Christ is in you as well. And it is his presence that will truly strengthen you and guide you to become the person God created you to be. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this morning, as we've heard, experienced, seen God, those claps are not for us. They are for God. And this morning, we want to make sure we know that. And we're going to close with this final song called Mighty Warrior, you guys can get in place, that Isaac introduced in the offertory. It's new, I know, most of you probably haven't heard it. But we chose it because Mighty Warrior is what God called Gideon in the story. When Gideon was feeling weak, no, 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 God, I am not a mighty warrior. You have the wrong person. But that's what God led with. And what I love about this song, though, it doesn't say we're mighty warriors. It says God is a mighty warrior. So as you... Sing this, or if it's new to you, just listening is fine. When you hear those words, our God, a mighty warrior, remember that means we're living on his strength, not our own. And that is the way you find true life.